Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, when are we going to have another Hack the Craft episode? I kind of miss those. We're going to have another Hack the Craft episode when some brave soul decides to submit their material and have it lovingly eviscerated for all to see. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I was just getting ready to say you don't have to be brave because you're so nice about everything. (laughs) I said lovingly. Lovingly eviscerated. I'm going to have nightmares tonight. My goal is to just help, but sometimes helping makes people feel bad because nobody wants to hear that their stuff isn't just perfect the way it is. Trust me, I know. I'm one of those people. Yes, but you're the one who tells yourself that it's not perfect, and then you just keep working on it. No, no, I eviscerate myself, and then my editor does it. No, then my agent does it, then the editor does it, and then the copy editor does it. Oh, and then the readers do it. It (laughs) never ends. (laughs) Is that why you're so loving when you eviscerate people? Yes, it's a do unto others thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, okay. So, with that being said, we need more material because we need – we like these we like these Hack the Craft episodes, but we need actual material. Like, I could, I could send stuff to Taylor, but then it's just like Taylor doing stuff of mine. We need stuff from you guys. So, if you have something that you're not sure about or if you think could use some help – or if it's just a polishing thing or you've got a question about something, just send it in and let Taylor lovingly, I guess, eviscerate you. <laughs> Not them. <laughs> That's the, the worst material. sales pitch ever. Oh, but Steve, I bet there's people out there listening to this that are like laughing their butts <laughs> off. And that is the sales pitch. In light of the fact that we don't have hackcraft material right now, and I don't have, unless I'm mistaken, and if you've sent me a question and I've not answered on the podcast, I'm sorry. Somehow it got lost. Send it again. My apologies. But since we don't have anything queued up, you get to have another episode of me and Steve talking about publishing <laughs> and, and just having a discussion, and you get to be along for the ride. All right, so this week we're talking about sell-through, and I'm just going to sit back and listen. (laughs) Okay, so sell-through is something that is on my radar right now, well, will be soon, and that makes me, you know, nail-biting a little nervous because it's one of the metrics that publishers, bookstores generally judge the success of book buy, and sell-through in publishing. And, you know, I might not be 100% accurate in this. I'm doing the best of my knowledge based on what I know as a writer and not a publishing professional is sell through is a term that's used to describe basically how many books get sold versus how many get returned. So one thing that, I mean, you might've picked up on it from previous Uh, podcasts, but I'll just explicitly state it here again, is that publishers don't actually sell books to bookstores or to wholesalers. They consign them. And what this does is it allows bookstores to take a risk. It allows wholesalers to take a risk, and it gets more books into the distribution stream and available to the public 
than would have if that those sellers and resellers were forced to buy and then try and find a way to get rid of unsold stock. So let's say a publisher gets an order for 3,000 copies from Barnes & Noble, 3,000 copies from Amazon, and 3,000 copies from a wholesaler and 1,000 copies from individual bookstores across the country. They're not going to get any orders from libraries or individuals because they don't sell directly to those entities. So that's 10,000 copies. And let's say they got those books into those channels because they were just really pushing that book hard. And the book goes out and something happens. Either a big worldwide event or a political event or just something. And nobody buys books for a week because everybody's traumatized by it. Well, probably 9,500 of those books are going back to the publisher. And that is a dismal sell-through. Now, does the publisher go, oh dear, we put that book out during this calamity, that poor author, we're going to excuse that the next time a book comes up to be sold again? Possibly. That might factor into the equation, maybe. But so much of this is done off of algorithms. And what we'll not be looking at it that way is the algorithms from Barnes Noble and Amazon and Books a Million, all these places that go, oh, well, we ordered this many books from that author and only this many sold. So no, we don't want to place a big order for that, that author's books this time around. That's what sell-through is. And so publishers have a target in mind of what they expect a book to sell through. They, they're not looking at, you know, like 90%, 90% sell through would be like, oh my God, they'd probably do another print run. But so they always print more books than they expect that they're actually going to sell. And it's not sell through for the entire life of the book. It's just for the first six weeks or the first eight weeks. Maybe if they're really generous, it might be three months. And after that, that book no longer is viable. They do, they, it, it's no longer, it doesn't have their attention. They are not pushing to sell it. It just exists. And after a certain number of years, depending on the publisher, they will remainder the copies. They'll offer them at a steep discount and basically pulp whatever doesn't sell. So, it's in the publisher's best interest not to print more books than necessary. And so they're looking at how well has this author done in the past? What kind of audience does the author have now? What kind of audience can we expand into? And that's why they're trying to, you know, get magazines to print reviews, which is incredibly hard, um, get the author at events where, you know, like maybe on radio or local TV or something also incredibly hard because what those different um, channels are looking for is something that's new, something that's new or something that's really big. James Patterson, if he's so inclined, will never have a problem getting on anything because he's huge. Stephen King, never have a problem 
people are going to open the doors and make way room for them. But they don't need to promote their books because the books promote themselves. So the next step down is, you know, all these different uh, outlets are looking for something that fits their readership, that is new and exciting. And if you've already got five books out, you're not, trust me, unless you're a big, exciting, big name, you are not new and exciting. So sell-through is something that they want to control in the terms of let's not overprint this book. Let's not put it in places where it might not sell well. Let's not convince this bookstore to take 5,000 copies when we're not sold on the idea that this book might not even sell a thousand. So it's like um, a a juggling game or a scale that's being weighed of trying to get as many of the copies copies of the book out there as possible without putting too many out so that they end up all coming back um, due to lack of interest, readers not knowing that they were out, they exist, like maybe they plan to have a big publicity campaign and they printed a lot of books to accommodate that, but the campaign falls flat, doesn't connect with the readership, and the books come back. The person who suffers the most from all of that is the author. I mean, I'm sure the publisher takes a hit, but because the publisher takes a hit, the author is the one that suffers. So one of the ways that publishers will try and, uh, I guess, uh, hedge their bets is with pre-order campaigns. The more people who pre-order books, the less risk they have in doing a certain size print run because they already know that they have a certain number of that. Like they, they'll have in mind how many books they think they're going to print. But if by by the pre-orders, it lets them absorb that risk so that if the rest of those copies don't sell as well as they thought they would, they still already have a certain amount of that expense covered. And so that's a side of publishing that most people who just go to a bookstore and buy their book or order it online have no ideas going on behind the scenes. All right. So a couple of questions. One, as an author, is it better to have modest expectations for your publisher to have modest expectations for your book? Or is it better for them to have outrageous expectations for the book? Well, I can only speak from to my own personal experience, my own point of view, but I would much rather there be modest expectations and the book sell better than expected and maybe have to go into a second print run than then they do this massive thing and print just crazy ton of books and then it just falls flat. Because for as me and an author, I'm in a much better position for the next book than with the modest expectations than I am with the big expectations. Now, if they have huge expectations for the book and the book meets those expectations, that's amazing. That's option C. But I'm very risk averse personally. I've been kicked in the teeth too many times. So I just would prefer modest expectations and then for the sales to exceed that. But it's a double-edged sword because if the publisher doesn't get enough books out into enough places, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Because it doesn't, the book doesn't have a lot of exposure. It doesn't sell well, and you know, so it can go either way. From a pre-order perspective, you're talking about pre-orders and publishers using that as a willingness to print a certain number of books. That does that imply that a print 
pre-order is more valuable to an author than a digital pre-order? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, well, you know, there's no there's no risk with digital, right? So digital is free money to the publisher after a certain point. You know, like we talked about in the past uh, podcast, there's um, there's there are fixed costs. So they they need to make a certain amount. But there there's no additional cost associated with distributing an ebook. So at a certain point, it just becomes free money that offsets all the other expenses that are going on. But there's a certain, I don't really even know the word for it. I don't want to say prestige or social proof, or there's just something different about actually having those physical copies out there that changes the dynamics of a book's perceived value and the author's perceived value. If there are only eBooks available, you lose just a huge percentage of the market. And from discussions that I've had with people in publishing right now, it seems that for small publishers especially, all the growth that they're seeing is in print and not just children's books or cookbooks or you know books that typically don't translate well to, um, to eBook, actual you know genre fiction, that's where they're seeing the, their most growth. So it by not printing books, the publisher leaves a tremendous amount of money on the table and opportunity because if not your book, then somebody else's. As an author, I, I would definitely prefer physical copies because the royalties on them are so much better. With eBooks, it's a flat royalty. It doesn't matter if you sell a thousand or a hundred thousand copies. Uh, you're going to get the same amount for each book that is sold as an author. But with physical copies, there's a staggered royalty where once you cross a, sh- a threshold, that the books that are over that threshold, the royalty goes up and then it usually goes up again. And by the time you hit that third tier, you're probably making twice as much as an author on a book than you are on a physical book than you are an ebook. So, I mean, of course, from a purely selfish perspective, I would prefer people bought physical copies, but those hardbacks are really expensive. And so, you know, I also really fight for every penny. And as much as I would, you know, prefer people buy what's expensive, I can't also in good conscience say, please go buy what's expensive. So it really, you know, I'm like, whatever way people want to buy the book, I'm just grateful that they're buying it. And truly, that's 100%. And I mean, just out, getting outside of you, and this is the Taylor Stevens show, so it's hard to get outside of, of, of you, but just thinking in terms of another author altogether and someone who has a book coming out and the publisher doesn't know what the reaction to the book is going to be, do you think, because I, I assume you don't know this, but would it make sense that there's some sort of an algorithm that they have that says, well, if if we've sold five pre pre-orders, five thousand ebooks and a thousand hardcovers, there is a demand for this book, so we're going to print more copies. Or do you think it's just based on the number of print pre-orders? I think that more than maybe they're looking at pre-orders. And again, you're right. I don't know. I'm just hypothetically guessing this whole thing. But I would assume that part of it is going to be based on pre-orders. The other part of it is going to be based on buzz. If the book starts getting picked up 
in where people are like going, oh my God, you got to read this. And they start seeing buzz increase on social media and with reviewers and, and an increased number of reviews that are it's being picked up as that's the book that that newspaper is going to print a review about that week, then they know there's something there. They know that it's connecting and they might change their expectations. Like maybe they had initially been planning, you know, a 5,000 copy print run. And then they see this is all going down. They're like, all right, let's increase that. So part of it might be based on pre-orders, but I think they're smart enough to realize that maybe they ran a really good pre-order campaign. Maybe the mm -hmm. author ran a really good pre-order campaign and they can't use that to gauge like, oh, now let's print, you know, 60% times, 60 times, you know, percent of that is now we'll increase it. It's more a sense of what, what's the temperature of the water look like here? You know, is it safe to swim? Let's, let's go launch our boat type thing. Speaking of digital and sell-through, um, you've been getting questions in the group, and I, I saw you address it in the Newsies the other day about the audiobook yes. for this. Uh, do you want to just kind of talk about that? Or I, I could ask you questions, or you could just sort of talk about it. Well, let's see how it goes. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes. Steve knows I do so much better if he asks me questions. <laughs> <laughs> um so audio, this is kind of ties into the whole distribution thing, too, is a lot of people assume that, A, of course, a book is going to be an audio and B, that the publisher is the one that produces audio. But that is rarely the case. Not all book books become audio and only rarely do publishers produce their own audio books. Now, originally, I started out with uh, Under the Random House Umbrella. And of course, my books got picked up by Random House Audio. But it was explained to me, even back then, that Random House Audio is its own entity. It did, doesn't just take every single audiobook that comes along. They're picky. And so, but I'm not with Random House anymore. So I noticed, and other readers have noticed, that there's no audiobook option online for pre-ordering. And so when I went to New York, that was on my agenda of things to sit down and talk with my publisher about is, is there going to be an audio version? And the short answer, I believe, is yes. Uh, there was, at that time, a licensing deal in the works, but it hadn't been signed yet. The details hadn't been finalized, and they didn't really want to talk about it until they, you know, of course, for obvious reasons, until it was all settled. So hopefully, yes. I mean, all my audiobooks have done well before. Fingers crossed. This book seems to be getting a lot of excitement and buzz, so... We'll see. Um, the next question then, of course, becomes, well, who's going to narrate it? Can, can, can Hillary Huber narrate it? And Hillary is the voice of Monroe, to which I say, maybe. Um, even the publisher doesn't have control over that. Once they, they license the rights, then the production company takes, or the audio production company takes over. Now, when the information is sold, I was contacted by the producer who said, These, this is who we have in mind. Did you have somebody else you wanted? And at that point in time, I didn't know Eve from Eve. And I was like, okay, whatever. And that's how Hillary ended up being the voice of Monroe. This time around, 
if I am fortunate to be contacted by the producer saying, this is who we had in mind, did you have anybody else in mind, then I have the opportunity to say so. But there's no guarantee that I'm going to be given that option. So we just wait and see. So I don't know who's going to narrate it. And and fingers crossed, everything goes through. And we might, if it does, we might not even see the for sale, um, the, the pre-order availability until shortly before publication date. But, you know, of course, like an OCD spaz, I'm going to be keeping an eye on it and people will hear about it when it happens. I think in general, the pre-orders for the physical book and the digital books go up way earlier, far earlier than uh, the audiobooks. This is correct. Just because they don't know. <laughs> they don't and know also, who's going to be doing it. But also, people know that there's going to be a physical and digital copy years in advance. Uh, I mean, as soon as the book is, is the rights are bought by the publisher, they know there's going to be what in what because it's in the contract. But for audio, they can't even begin producing it until they have a finished edited, copy edited, gone through production, ready for print manuscript. So it makes that whole thing take a lot longer. So when we talk about pre-orders, I'm guessing that there are like two different kinds of pre-orders. Maybe, maybe one kind of pre-order is at the retail level, like, like what we're able to do by going to a digital bookstore or even a physical bookstore and saying, hey, I want to order this book. I know it's not coming out until December. I want to order it now. At Amazon, you just go and the book is there. You can just pre-order it. Uh, there's probably also, we've talked about the distribution process where bookstores and individual bookstores and chains are pre-ordering the book or ordering the book. So when we talk about pre-orders, are we just talking about at the retail level like me pre-ordering the book? So when I ask people, like, please pre-order this book, I'm talking about, like, individuals. You going to Amazon or even calling, you know, you can place pre-orders for physical copies with Barnes & Noble, and you can do it with your indie, local indie bookstores. But pre-orders are such a big deal to the publisher, like we talked about before, Mm -hmm. where it helps them to mitigate the risk and everything, that I've heard rumor that my publisher is planning to do a big pre-order campaign for this book. And they want to offer like a giveaway prize, not like autographed books, but like something of value that pertains to the story itself. Big, like that worth winning. And so I sent them just suggestions and I was like, I will climb over people to get this. That's how bad I would like to have it. Maybe my readers would like to have it, too. <laughs> I'll tell you what I would want that's related to the book. What? A Tesla. Uh, nobody's getting a <laughs> oh, Tesla, okay? okay All Steve, right. I'm sorry. I'm, I don't think they're going over maybe. Like, I don't know what the budget is, but it definitely doesn't have more than two zeros at the end of it. <laughs> you know how many books I would have to sell to make a Tesla something that they could give away as a prize? Oh, my god! But gosh. you were just talking about something that's related to the book, and it's like, yeah. I don't really need guns and knives, you know but I'd like they, to have a Tesla. They could give you a little tiny bitty model Tesla to put on your desk. How about that? I'd take it. I'd take it. And when you say it would be something good, not like an autograph book, for me, autograph books are fantastic. It's like the best thing you could have. I understand that. And yes, I agree 100%. You guys should want an autograph book from me more than anything else in the world. 
it doesn't have a high dollar value to it. You know, like they'll give, they're going to do giveaways of autographed books, but that's not like the grand prize type thing. So I don't have the details. I don't know for sure. I mean, I just know there's talk of it and I really hope that it does happen because I'm quite excited about it. And of course, if it happens, you guys, you know, you, the listeners here, people in the fan club, those on Patreon are going to get the news first. Actually, people on Patreon are going to get the news first. You guys will probably get it second, but. (laughs) That's how that's how we roll. All right. Now, just um, to be clear, you're not saying, hey, if you were thinking of pre-ordering, don't pre-order because we have this contest that might be no. coming. No, because it's going to count for anybody who's pre-ordered at whatever time. So there's no um, negative. People who've already pre-ordered are not going to be excluded from this thing. It's for everybody who pre-orders. But there's another type of pre-ordering that most people don't think about. And which, if you love me, and if you appreciate the podcast and everything that I do for you, but you don't love me enough to be a patron or to buy my book, and yes, I know you guys are out there, but you love me, but just not that much, here's something you can do. (laughs) You can go to your library and find out if they're going to have it and ask them to make sure that they order it for their patrons. That would help me tremendously, and it won't cost you a single dollar. It'll just cost you your time, and time is love, and I would love you for it. Awesome. Great idea. (laughs) And if you love her a lot, and you do want to buy her book, and you have friends that read, (laughs) think about what great Christmas presents this would make, because if you pre-order, they're going to come out in time for Christmas, and I bet, I just bet that there might be a way to get like some kind of autographed thing from Taylor that you could stick inside the book as a part of your gift. I was just going to say that. Steve beat me to it. So yes, it does come out December 18th. If you contact me in advance, please, I beg you, don't wait to the last minute, but contact me in advance. I will send you a personalized note to the person I'll need their name. I'll need to know if this is a Christmas gift or a Hanukkah gift or whatever it is to make sure that I don't flub it. And anything that you want me to know about the person that would help me personalize it, and I'll send you a card that you can stick along from the author to go inside that book together with a, um, oh, what are they called? It's a label that you stick in the book that, uh, autograph plate, a book plate that's autographed for that book. And it can give a little boost to your gift. Please don't wait to the last minute, guys. Get me in November. Get me before the insanity hits, because otherwise I'm worried I'm not going to get it to you in time. And if you happen to be, well, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I will just say the last time you released a book, I am nowhere near Dallas, Texas, the Barnes & Noble in Dallas, Texas. But I knew someone who was going to be there, and I asked her to pick up some copies of the books for me and to have you personally autograph them so that they could be given as gifts, which was really cool. And those were, those gifts were really well received. And I, that was fun. And it also came as a huge surprise to me because I did not know he was doing that. And that was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to know someone in Dallas and there has to be an actual signing, which there probably will be at some point, but maybe not the week before Christmas. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to get one set up for December 18th. There's no guarantee it'll happen, but I figure people have to go shopping anyway. 
So it would kind of be a two birds with one stone thing, but I'm not going to do any kind of book tour around Texas. I'll wait until January, last weeks of January to do that. But I do really want to have a book launch. But all of this is just tentative. I I don't really know. But I promise as soon as I know that information is going out, first to the patrons, then to you guys, then in a newsie. So just keep your eyes peeled. And so yes, and one of one of one of the reasons that people are patrons of yours is because of the great work that you do with the hack the craft stuff. And so this let's circle all the way back to the beginning of the show before we started talking about all these other things. And once again, we'll close with a pitch for more material. So we need material. Uh, we have had periods where the material just kind of floods in, and it's it takes a while to get through it. Uh, we're not in one of those periods right now. So if you have something that you'd like Taylor to take a look at, please send it in. Uh, please email her and let her know. Uh, please leave a comment in the Facebook group or something. Somehow let us know. And please do check out Taylor's Patreon page. Join me inside there. I'm one of her patrons, one of one of uh, many of the people who listen to this show and our longtime fans of Taylor's who are in the group there. Um, join us in there as well. And thank you guys so much for listening. And our goal is to provide you something of value here. Steve and I love talking. We could just chat and record ourselves talking, but that might not give you what you need. Our goal is to give you what you want on this show. And so thank you for being a part of this show. Thank you for giving us the material to give back to you. And we're looking forward to being with you again next week.